Welcome to GW Hospital HealthCast. I'm Dr. Mike Smith, and today's topic is HPV and throat cancer. My guest is Dr. Poonan Thacker. Dr. Thacker is an assistant professor of surgery at George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences and a member of the medical staff at the George Washington University Hospital. Dr. Thacker, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, why don't we just start off first? What is HPV? So HPV is uh, the human papillomavirus. Um, now, this virus is is quite uh, prevalent. You know, there's different types of this virus. There's type 6, 11, 16, and 18. Now, the higher number, 16 or 18, are the ones that cause cervical cancer, and that we know. Um, but they can also cause cancer in the the base of the tongue or the tonsil. That's the oropharynx. Um, why it's interesting is because in the last um, 25 years or so, we've seen a decline in some of the other head and neck cancers, but oropharyngeal cancer rates are rising, and that's because of this virus. So we see, we're seeing this type of cancer in younger, healthier patients who've never had a history of smoking okay. and drinking, and um, so they're different from our you know typical head and neck cancers patients that we think about traditionally. So, so let's back. So HPV is a virus, right? And h- how is it usually mm-hmm. transmitted? So it's, it can be tra- uh, transmitted sexually or um, by mucosal contact. So theoretically, you know, kissing, um, oral sex, uh, you know, it's not really known how the transmission hap- the uh, transformation happens between just carrying HPV and actually progressing to the cancer. That's something we don't um, quite know ex- exactly why some patients progress to cancers and others are just carriers. Um, but it is prevalent in more than, you know, 95% of pe- people have, or at some point in their life have been, um, positive for HPV. Okay. So it takes some sort of close contact, right, to, to transmit Correct. this virus. And, and you said something mm-hmm. interesting. You said that we're seeing, I guess, especially those strains that are more linked to, to cancers, we're seeing those strains, those HPV uh, strains increasing in general in the population. Is that true? Right. I mean, you know, there's different theories for why this is the case. Um, you know, people have changing sexual practices, um, more sexual partners than, you know, traditionally in the past. Um, so this may be one of the reasons why we're seeing higher numbers of these cancers. Yeah, and so so when when we look at the 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 large population of people who have, let's say, like you said, a a carrier of HPV, who do those people look like? Are they mostly men, women? What's the age group? So, you know, the carriers of the HPV, it's not a particular any age can be carriers. In terms of um, which of those patients are. Um, positive for cancer, usually that age group is 40, uh, 40 years old and above. And um, right now, it's a higher proportion of men. Um, but we're seeing more women with oropharyngeal cancer than we have in the past from smoking and drinking. Yeah. And so I think, I do think a lot of listeners, Dr. Thacker, probably are familiar with HPV and maybe the cervical cancer part of that, right? I think we, you know, there's a lot of public mm-hmm. service announcements about that. Get the pap smears, all, all of that stuff. But I, I don't know if a lot of people understand that HPV is also related to cancers of the mouth and the throat. Um, so when you look at all the different 
cancers that that happen through HPV, what percent are occurring in the in the oral cavity and in the throat? In general or HPV related? HPV related. So in the last um, in the last in 2016, there were about 500,000 cases in the country of um, HPV cancer. And it's predicted that by 2020, um, the rate of HPV-related oropharynx cancer is going to be higher than cervical cancer if it keeps going the rate that it is. So since we're talking about a viral infection, right, and you had mentioned that it's, it's close contacts, most likely sexually transmitted, what are some of the signs and symptoms that we should look for just in case we have HPV infection? So HPV infection is asymptomatic. Um, HPV infections that are caused by the um, less virulent strains, and that would be um, HPV 6 and 11, those will just cause warts. Um, so those are called papillomas. Those can occur in the in the oral cavity. Having these papillomas or warts in your oral cavity or oropharynx actually does not increase your risk of um, progressing to cancer. On the other hand, if you have an HPV-positive tumor, the signs and symptoms would be the same as a non-HPV-positive um, throat mass. So um, for HPV-positive cancers, we've seen that even very small lesions have a propensity to metastasize to the neck nodes. Um, so the first sign would be a mass in the neck. Um, now, when an adult um, has a neck mass that's persistent for two weeks, it's uh, highly possible that this is a cancer. Um, and so it should be evaluated first by the primary care physician. And if it, does, if it persists past two weeks, um, there are recommendations by the American Academy of Otolaryngology and Head and Neck Surgery that um, the primary care doctor should refer to a specialist and further imaging and biopsy is, is certainly warranted. So the most common sign of sign of a newly diagnosed uh, head neck cancer that's HPV positive is uh, a new neck mass. Right. So ha- so obviously that's a, a good reason to go to go see your primary care. You mentioned the papilloma, mm-hmm. right? So if 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 somebody has a papilloma or what you just said was a wart in the oral cavity, mm-hmm. it, should they still go see their doctor to make sure get that checked up? 100%. Yep, 100%. Um, you know, if it's a small papilloma and they come and see an otolaryngologist, then uh, most of the time we can uh, excise the lesion in the office and you can get a biopsy result in a, in a week. Um, when there are tumors in the base of the tongue or the tonsil, they, they may require um, a biopsy in the operating room, but small papillomas in the oral cavity are very easy to, to biopsy. So I, definitely any new mass or lesion um, in the oral cavity or in the oropharynx should uh, definitely prompt a, a visit to your primary care doctor and um, uh, a specialist thereafter. Okay. Now, if somebody comes to you with a neck mass or a throat mass, right, um, how do you know if it's HPV-related or not? What's the workup for that? So the first step, um, you know, would be imaging. Uh, if we can also do ultrasound in our office and do ultrasound-guided needle biopsies um, and those are usually small gauge needles, just about the size of the needle that you get your blood drawn with. Uh, once we do the needle biopsy, we can send it to our pathologist who can uh, test it for um, the HPV virus uh, with 
certain amino stains, and that stain is, is called P16. So just to kind of back, so there's a there's a specific stain that you can do in the laboratory that will tell you if this is HPV-related or, or not. Correct. Now, once you're ready for treatment, so you, you have a person come in, there's a neck mass, you, you know, you've mm-hmm. done the workup, it's HPV-related. Um, tell us about the treatment, both from a surgical or from the cancer perspective, and then also from the HPV perspective. Um, so from the HPV perspective, um, it doesn't really change the management. Um, it does change the prognosis. So um, for early stage oropharynx cancers in the tonsil or the base of the tongue, um, there's two options. One is non-surgical and the other is surgical. Um, One option, if the patient does not want surgery, would be chemo and radiation, and that's given concurrently for about six weeks. Depending on the stage of the disease will depend whether they need just radiation or chemo and radiation. The other option is surgery. And for early stage cancers of the base of tongue and the um, tonsil, uh, there is the advent of the um, transoral robotic surgery. So there's two systems that are are used here at GW. One is the da Vinci um, robotic system and the other is the MedRobotics Flex system, and both are approved for early-stage tumors of the base of tongue or oropharynx. The reason these new um, robotic um, surgeries are, are helpful is because in the past, you know, in order to get access to the base of the tongue, uh, we would have to split the mandible, and that could be quite morbid for the patient, as you can imagine. With, the ac- with um, access to these robotic surgical techniques, um, we can get access in those hard-to-reach areas, and patients are out of the hospital in about 48 hours. Wow. Nice. Um, and drinking, you know, eating and drinking just as they were, swallowing is fine, and their speech is well, fine. And you know, Doctor Thacker, let me let me ask you a question decision. about about those robots, right? Because I think, and I want you to explain this and, and use this to educate, you know, the audience about robotic surgery. Because when you say robotic or robot people have certain things in their minds, right? What exactly is, and and I want you to clear that up for us, right? Tell us exactly what robotic surgery is. Okay. So, you know, one question that I get asked all the time when I mention robotic surgery is, will you be there in the operating room? And 100% your surgeon will be in the operating room. Um, What the robotic surgery, machinery does for us in the operating room is it's set up so that the instruments are in correct position and then the surgeon sits at a console. So in in the console, we have complete control of whatever movement those instruments have in the, in the throat. Um, the arms of the instrument are obviously smaller than any of the instruments by hand that we would use and the magnification is is much more than what we can get with our eyes. So that's the the benefit one is the access to is um, the the magnification and it's also we see in 3D with the with the robot right. so that's actually very helpful um, when performing these operations right and so but I think the the important point right and this this is for everybody to understand the surgeon is still doing the surgery you're simply controlling the sur- it's just yes. right 
Yeah, you're controlling these arms that are just allowing you to get access to tough spots. The magnification is better. It makes the surgery better. And as you said, the outcomes are a lot better. And I think I thank you for clearing that up for us. So when somebody goes through this kind of treatment, though, for a oral or throat, you know, cancer that is HPV related, you had mentioned that prognosis is different than somebody who does not have HPV and has a throat cancer. Tell us a little bit about the difference in outcome. Sure. Um, so oropharyngeal cancers caused by the human papillomavirus um, have a definite favorable survival. Um, you know, this was first found in a, a landmark study that was in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2010, which demonstrated that patients who had HPV-positive tumors had significantly better overall survival. Um, and when you looked at their three-year overall survival, and this was back in 2010, it was 82.4% versus 57%. So much, much better survival curves. Um, and so patients do better, you know, whether you whether they go with the traditional non-surgical routes of chemo or chemoradiation or surgery. Now, these um, studies regarding the survival benefits and um, treat, treatment options with the with TORS are, are just now um, being published. And there's a, a large clinical trial that was just closed in July 2017, which is going to answer some questions that um, have come up. Uh, and namely, patients, we know that HPV patients uh, have overall survival, which is better. So can we de-escalate their therapy? Meaning in the past, someone who had a, a significantly sized tumor that was stage three would need multiple modes of treatment, um, surgery and radiation or chemo and radiation. The question is now, can we de-escalate their therapy so we can do surgery um, alone, surgery with a lower dose of radiation, surgery with standard dose radiation, and then surgery with chemo radiation? They're going to look at all these four groups and see if there's any benefit to um, decreasing the treatment they receive because long-term higher doses of radiation and chemo can have an effect right. um, on swallowing and fibrosis. And, you know, that that's the next step. And we should get that information in the next next couple of years, hopefully. Yeah, that's very exciting. So, Dr. Thacker, I always just kind of like to end in summary. What, what would you like people to know about HPV-related throat cancers? Um, so, you know, as far as we know, the cancer is not contagious. So, you know, I don't, it shouldn't be a, you know, a reason to frighten people to, to change any habits that they have because there's no, there's no evidence that um, kissing causes cancer. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think that's really important. We don't know why certain patients progress to, to cancer and others don't. You know, there's more than just, just, the, um, just the virus. You know, it's genetics and, you know, other things that we don't, don't understand. Um, number two, any adult with a, a new neck mass, it's important not to just assume that it's infectious or um, it's going to go away. Just go and see a physician, whether it's your primary care doc or um, an ENT, preferably, who can evaluate this right away. Because, um, you know, even, you know, 40 years ago, there were studies show that there was about a four to a five to six month delay between a new neck mass and getting their diagnosis. 
even today, studies show that there's still a three to six month lag. So despite, you know, better imaging with MRI, CAT scan, PET scan, we're still not identifying patients right away. And that's something we see all the time, just delayed diagnosis or patients being treated with multiple courses of antibiotics for a neck mass um, because it's presumed to be infectious. And in fact, it's not. It's, it's cancer. That's why it's not going away with, with antibiotics. Right, right. Um, and thirdly, you know, it's important to know um, if you have this new diagnosis that there are options for your treatment and you should definitely go to a center which explains all these options to you um, to, man- to make sure that if you're, you're getting um, the treatment that makes most sense for you. If you're young and healthy and can tolerate um, surgery and it's an early stage cancer, you may do fine with just having um, robotic surgery and perhaps some low dose radi- and perhaps low dose radiation. Um, but you have to go to centers that are treating these tumors so that um, an informed decision can be made with a multidisciplinary team to to treat your cancer um, in a way that makes sense for you and that's standard of care. Right, right. So, so go to the specialist, right, and go quickly. Don't waste time. Dr. Thackers, thank you so much for the work that um, you are doing at George Washington University and our George Washington Hospital. And also, thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're listening to GW Hospital HealthCast with the George Washington University Hospital. For more information, you go to gwhospital.com. That's gwhospital.com. Physicians are independent practitioners who are not employees or agents of the George Washington University Hospital. The hospital shall not be liable for actions or treatments provided by physicians. Individual results may vary. There are risks associated with any surgical procedure. Speak with your physician about these risks to find out if robotic surgery is right for you. This is Dr. Mike Smith. Thanks for listening.